to Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. Welcome back to Hotel Bar Sessions. I'm Rick Lee, your host this week. And as usual, I'm joined by my two friends and co-hosts, Dr. Lee M. Johnson and Dr. Charles Peterson. How are you all this week? Hanging in there, hanging in there. I am warmed to hear you regard me as a friend. That warms the cockles, my cockles on this very cold winter day. So thank you. I'm doing much better now. (laughs) If I knew it was that easy, Charles, I would say that every day. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you're warmed, what are you drinking? And I'm especially interested in your rant, but also rave. I am drinking a Hemingway Enika. It's a nice oh. little daiquiri. It's aged rum, a honey ginger syrup, pimento bitters, and a lime wheel that's on the rim of the glass. I've oh, talked wow. about my wife having subscribed me to Shaker and Spoon, this monthly cocktail service. So we've gone through all of the rum drinks because this month was a rum month. And we made ourselves a couple of Hemingway and Nikas, and they were absolutely fantastic. So that's the drink that I'm going to ask Rami to pour for me. My rant is how ignorant Tennessee boards of education can be. It seems that a school district in Tennessee has decided to ban the teaching of the graphic novel Mouse. Oh, God. The Art Spiegelman classic, brilliant graphic novel. And I read that on Twitter and I thought to myself, who are you where you so identify with the Nazis where that novel makes you uncomfortable? So I'm ranting about the ways in which these various fascist groups are really making themselves known, particularly through the banning of certain books. My rave today is the fact that Jesus came back in the form of Barry White. (laughs) So like everyone else on the planet who's suffering from a vague level of anxiety because of COVID and because of the growing geopolitical confusion, I suffer a little bit of anxiety around this. And yesterday I put on Barry White and I felt the most peaceful and serene and centered listening to his music, listening to his voice, as I felt literally in almost a year. We got it together, didn't we? We've definitely got our thing together, don't we? So who knew Barry White was the second coming of Jesus? He's the Prince of Peace. (laughs) But thank you, Mr. White, because who know that Jesus had a base? <laughs> Barry White saves. Barry White saves. <laughs> Lee, what about you? What are you drinking and what are you ranting and raving about? So it's still really cold here in Memphis. I think I'm just going to have a hot toddy, keep it simple, and something to, as Charles says, warm the cockles of my cockles. <laughs> I am raving this week about a new series on Peacock that's called True Story. <laughs> It's actually hosted by the two comedians, Ed Helms and Randall Park, and they set it up like this. They say, you know, we have all of these histories of the epic adventures of famous human beings that are passed down through generations in literature and film and art, but what about the epic stories of the regular guy? And so they invite guests onto the show, and they sit down and have them tell their epic story. And these are just regular people. And the great thing about it is that neither Ed Helms nor Randall Park have heard the story before. So they're hearing it for the first time and encouraging the best telling of it. The other part of the show, though, is that interspersed as the guest is telling their story are reenactments of the story that they're telling, a la drunk history style reenactments, which are hilarious. So if you're not already familiar with drunk history, it is also a hilarious series. But this is a great series. I highly recommend it. True story streaming on Peacock. I am ranting this week about restaurant scores. So I'm assuming that your local news does this too. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure every local news does this where they go around town and they try to find the restaurants that have mold in the freezer or rats or whatever. And they, you know, make a little segment on the evening news with the restaurant scores. 
this is just ridiculous to me that we're still doing this now. Like, no restaurant is safe. Like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody should be inside a restaurant eating anyway. And I don't care if there are rats crawling all over the table. They are safer than Omicron. So it just drives me crazy every time I see this. I, I saw the other night, and I'm like, are you serious? We're still having these restaurant scores, and nobody mentions COVID at any point during the restaurant scores. So, yeah, that's my rant for this week. But, Rick, what about you? What are you drinking this week, and what are you ranting and raving about? So I'm going to continue my history of going back to classic cocktails, and I'm going to have a sidecar. This week, I am ranting about Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. <laughs> <laughs> gay. <laughs> You're gay. in prison. Gay, don't gay, say gay, it. Gay, gay, don't gay, say gay. it. Don't say it. Gay. Gay. <laughs> this just passed out of a House committee. A similar bill is going through the Florida Senate. I thought I'd continue ranting about Florida. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is just horrific because studies are showing that when children come to understand that there are gay people and that gay people have lives, the suicide rate among gay teenagers goes down almost 30%. So come on, Ooh. Florida, get with it. Yeah. I feel like we should have a new segment where we find out which state is the stupidest state, which state wins the stupid state award. I feel like it's always going to be between Tennessee and Florida, though, guys. Come on. <laughs> That's unfair. That's unfair. <laughs> And this week, I am raving about The Music Man. Nice. We got trouble right here in River City. <laughs> Gary, exactly. Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Yeah. I love that. I love that. What do you talk? What do you talk? But you got to know the territory. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, this is why I'm raving about it. I put it on one night last week. And it just lightens your heart and also puts cockles on your cockles. So <laughs> I am raving about the music man. If we keep nice. this up, this podcast will not be taught in Florida public schools. <laughs> gay, gay, gay. Cockles, cockles, Girl, cockles. I don't dance, I work. I don't play, I slay. I don't walk, I strut, 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 and then sashay. But I don't work for free. So this week, we're doing something we've never done before on this podcast. We're calling it Turning Up the Heat. Because we got to thinking that every week we refer to someone being in the hot seat. But that hot seat isn't all that hot because the person is never called on the carpet for anything. And so we're going to correct that this week. We're all going to take turns being in a hot seat. The co-hosts will throw questions at us and we're going to answer them. We have this divided now into several kinds of questions. And so we're going to start out with the classic game, Would You Rather? If you don't know how Would You Rather is played, you have two options and you got to pick one. Y'all got the rules down? We got it. I'm ready. All right. Let's turn up the heat. Let's turn up turn the, the heat. Up. I'm starting. I'm turning it right now to 200 degrees. Ooh, that's gay. <laughs> okay, so maybe we should start off by acknowledging that the rest of this episode is going to be a largely self-indulgent episode. But you know what? We've done 30 episodes together, and, you know, I think we're allowed one navel-gazing episode where we just talk about each other. But if you want to stick with us, I think that you're going to learn a lot about your co-hosts in this episode. So please do stick around for the rest of this. All right, Charles, so start turning up the heat. This question is for Lee. Lee, would you rather be anxiety-ridden or megalomaniacal? Okay, so I think that I'm worried why I'm being asked this. 
<laughs> these are just random I'm questions. I'm worried that you think I'm both and I just need to drop one of these. These are random questions. You know, honestly, that's really hard. I I don't want to choose psychological disorders, but I honestly think that I would rather be anxiety-ridden. And I'll tell you why. is because I think in every case of megalomania, there is a lot of delusion there. And I think at least with anxiety, I feel like I'm at least sort of correctly assessing the world <laughs> and I'm not delusional. So yeah, I'm going to go with uh, anxiety. All right. Because you're a good person. Aw. Okay, so my first question is actually for both of you. I'm really seriously interested in hearing your answers to this. Would you rather that other people could read your thoughts or know your internet history? I'm going to go back to Charles first. Oh, you could have my internet history. You probably find it more entertaining than my thoughts. Yeah, I don't mind people reading. Yeah, I I don't mind the, the internet history. That's fine. Oh, Okay. It's pretty saucy. I'm I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather also have my internet history open because I think my thoughts are nastier than my internet history. <laughs> so I think like people could probably imagine what's in my internet history, but they can't imagine what's in my head. Oh my God. You guys, I'm so shocked by both of your... I would definitely not want people to know my internet history. I think I wouldn't mind people reading my thoughts because let's be honest, I pretty much say whatever I'm thinking anyway. Well, well, yeah, that may be it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rick, your turn. All right. This is a question for Charles. Charles, would you rather live in a world without Shakespeare or a world without The Godfather? Oh, that's easy. I, I would much rather live in a world that has Shakespeare but does not have The Godfather. Hmm. Because there are other great gangster movies that I can still enjoy. I can still see <laughs> Goodfellas or Casino. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no shortage of great gangster films. But no, but Shakespeare is very near and dear to me. Probably once every two years, I go on a Shakespeare binge. So no, I love Shakespeare and I just cannot imagine a world without Shakespeare. Mm, nice. All right. So this question is for Lee. Would you rather be a robot that could not interface with humans or a human who could not interface with robots? Oh, I'd definitely rather be a robot that cannot interface with humans. (laughs) I mean, okay, so give me a chance to explain. I have no desire to be a robot, despite what I think everyone thinks about me. I don't actually want to be a robot, but I definitely do not want to be a human being that cannot interface with robots. So, yeah, I think in that case, I'd rather be a robot that can't interface with human beings. If I'm going to be a human being in the 21st century, I want to be a human being that can interface with robots. It it has still been undetermined whether Lee is actually currently a robot or not. (laughs) I know. And it seems to me that with that answer, basically Lee says when our robot overlords attain dominance, she would much rather be the native informant. (laughs) She wants to be the colonized intermediary between the robots and the humans. Oh, well, you know, I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. All right. So my next question is for Rick, and it's related because it's about social media. So we all know that Rick is not a fan of social media. Rick, would you rather only communicate with others through social media or never know anything about what is said on social media at all. So in the second scenario, you could still communicate with others, but they would not be able to talk to you about anything that was said on social media. Anything that you read that referenced social media would be redacted. So your communications are either entirely through social media or entirely absent of the content of social media. So this is actually, for me, quite simple. I would rather not know what's going on on social media than have to communicate exclusively through social media. As I said before, I... Okay, now I'm going to get caught. I I, I just (laughs) think that I like to know about what's going on in the world, and I understand that social media is in the world and that sometimes things that happen there are important, but I'd rather not know anything about them than be forced to communicate only through social media. Wow. All right. So, Charles, would you rather be in an Africana studies department where you were only allowed to teach white philosophers or a philosophy department where you were only allowed to teach black, African descended, Caribbean and or diasporic philosophers? That seems to come down to a question of what is a comfortable level of relative alienation? (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm going to go with the lesser level, which means put me in the Africana Studies Department teaching European canonical philosophers. Because I think about the possibilities of that. Let's teach Nietzsche over and against the action hero of black exploitation films of the early 70s. Could we think nice, about yeah. right Jim Brown as an Ubermensch in 100 Rifles? So yeah, that seems to be more fun than having to explain to an analytic philosophy department why C.L.R. James is important. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to ask this question for Lee. Lee, would you rather hurt or be hurt? And there's a sub-question to that. Would you rather be Trent Reznor or Johnny Cash? Okay, then I think that my my answer is going to be consistent for both answers. I would rather be hurt and be Johnny Cash. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that I can think of any would you rather where one option was to hurt other people that I would choose that. Although if I also don't want to be hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody wants their cake and to eat it too. (laughs) Right. Okay. So my question is for both of you, would you rather become well-known, respected and admired because of this podcast or because of your published academic work? Um, well, I do love my children so much. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say because of this podcast, for one reason that the three of us have talked about behind the scenes, maybe on the podcast itself, but I'm, I'm really impressed. A few people have come up to me who are not academics and certainly not in philosophy and told us how much they really enjoy our podcast. And those are people who would never pick up a book on the question of whether theology was a science in the Middle Ages. So (laughs) um, I think this podcast. Nice. Charles? I mean, to be honest, probably more people hear me on this podcast than are actually reading anything that I write and publish. So for similar reasons to what Rick said, I think if I had to be known for philosophical engagement, I prefer it be through this podcast. I'm a big fan of the idea of philosophy as a verb. And mm-hmm. we do philosophy. We do philosophize. It's an active engagement. And I'm a huge fan of the sense of philosophy being a dialogical practice instead of simply yeah. right a solitary engagement. And as Rick said, we are able to think and talk and show this in ways that people who would never pick up a treatise on whether or not theology is a, is a medieval science, though I have seen a few of those copies in barbershops. But... <laughs> <laughs> I saw one at the gay bar. Yeah, you know, let's not underestimate people's interest in that question. But in all seriousness, <laughs> if we're able to bring questions and his way of thinking and approaching topics to a broader group of people, that normally would not read our books or our articles or go to our conferences, that I'm, I'm very happy doing that. I would also rather be well-known, respected, and admired because of this podcast. So I'm glad we're all on the same page. And Charles, using philosophy as a verb, I could see why you don't want to be in an analytic department <laughs> explaining why <laughs> Fanon is an important thinker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. This is for both of you. Would you rather not be able to read or not be able to speak? I'll start. I would much rather not be able to speak than not be able to read. I don't like talking to people that much anyway, so that's not really a huge... (laughs) (laughs) Present company excluded. Obviously, and my family. No, in all seriousness, either or, I'd much rather lose the capacity for speech than lose the capacity to read. So... I'm assuming that we're answering this like today, like in the 21st century. Okay. In that case, I'd rather not be able to read because I think that there are enough ways to hear most of the things that I read and I definitely would not want to not be able to speak. Actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but I had this, uh, I don't know what to call it, um, episode almost 10 years ago now where I woke up and I couldn't speak. Oh. And I couldn't write. It, it's called a trans ischemic attack. Yeah. It's like like when one of these veins or whatever in your brain just kind of contracts or something. And they call it a mini stroke. It wasn't a stroke stroke. I don't have any damage. But I woke up with a splitting headache. I went to class, walked into the class and literally I could not speak. Obviously, I went to the emergency room and for about six hours, I understood everything that everybody was saying. I understood everything that was going on around me. But when they asked me something, I couldn't answer. I just, you know, all that came out was just like, uh, you know, and when they asked me to write something down, I couldn't write it down. It's called aphasia. It's a common symptom of 
strokes, I guess. But that was the absolutely most terrifying moment of my entire life. And I thought, if this is my life now, I do not want to live. (laughs) So all that is to say, I would rather not be able to read than not be able to speak. All right. uh, This question is for Lee. Go figure. Would you rather have robot arms or robot organs? Oh, 100% robot organs. I am a type 1 diabetic. (laughs) I would right now take a robot pancreas. Not only save me a lot of money on insulin, but it would make my life much healthier and better. But no, I'd definitely rather have robot organs. Man, that'd be great. And you already have the robot eyes now. So you've started this... I do. That's true. Think how much you could drink. Oh my God, that's right. A, ro- a, a robot kidney or robot bladder or robot liver? Liver, oh yeah. My God. Yeah, be great. All right. So my last question is also for both of you. Would you rather change the outcome of the last election or get to decide the outcome of the next election? And by the way, when I say change the outcome of the last election, I'm including the primaries. Okay, that makes it more interesting. Even with that, including the primaries, I think I still would like to pick the winner of the next election because what's done is done. It's not so bad. It could be so much worse. So let's stay where we are now and I'll choose the winner of the next election. And you know I'm choosing Governor DeSantis from Florida. I would much rather choose the outcome of the next election. Because I agree with Rick, what's done is done. We have to move forward. 24, 22 are going to be so important in terms of the fate of the damn world. Can I have a quick follow-up? Sure. If, if I asked you this question four years ago, so halfway through Trump's oh, administration, obviously, would you say the last election or the next election? Last. Oh, obviously, for me, the last, oh, without a doubt. That could be the hazy, golden, soft gauze of the past. And all of a sudden, in the rearview mirror, Hillary Clinton looks outstanding. But yeah, obviously, if this were, yeah, right. <laughs> if, if this were 218, definitely we're going back and changing, changing the past. All right. So the clock has run out on the Would You Rather section. In our next segment, we're going to do a couple of speed rounds. We're going to do a Define This in 10 Seconds or Less And we are also going to do a speed round of ranking various things. Hey, listeners, before we have too many drinks and it slips my mind, if you can't catch us at the Hotel Bar, you can catch us on Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast. You can also follow our HBS hosts individually on Twitter to catch their all-fair thoughts. You can follow Charles at at C underscore F Peterson. And Peterson is with an O, not an E. O, not an E. Rick is at at Rick Lee Philos. That's Rick Lee with two E's and Philos spelled like half of the word philosophy. And Lee is at Dr. Lee M. Johnson. The doctor's abbreviated and Lee spelled L-E-I-G-H. Now, back to our conversation. So, Charles, 10 seconds or less, what is freedom? The ability to move when and where as I choose. Freedom of movement. That's what freedom is. And I think about this in context of enslaved Africans and how the desire to be able to leave a plantation, a city, a state, to travel, to trek, to go wherever they want to go was the ultimate freedom for that population. And I think for me, that still remains the ultimate symbol. I can come or I can go as I choose. All right. This is for Lee. Define unjustified belief. Oh, my gosh. I would say a unjustified belief is one that is not consistent with the facts of the world, violates the laws of logic or known truths of science, or involves dependence on some kind of a supernatural being or force. Just slid in under the clock. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to ask Rick, define IRL. In real life is a mistaken designation for things that don't happen on the internet as if what happens on the internet isn't real. For me, I think we need a more expansive definition of what counts as real, and those are things that don't necessarily actually exist. 
This one I'm going to ask each of you, but each of you gets your own 10 seconds. What is a good podcast, Lee? A good podcast for me is one that is not scripted, involves a real conversation in which all the co-hosts have a friendly rapport with one another, are good listeners, and have something smart to say. Boom. Boom. A good podcast is one where I learn something that I didn't know before, that I'm entertained in the style of the speaker. And actually, what I find to be a good podcast is also the tone and the rhythm of the speech of the speakers. Hmm. Nice. Rick, I'm just interested in what's your answer. Um, I'm going to pick up on Charles. It's one in which I learned something, but also one in which I'm challenged. All right, Charles, you're up. All right. This is for you, Lee. Why why you only ask me questions? (laughs) Because I'm so fascinated by what you have to say. Not to mention that the last segment, we were at 200 degrees. Now we're up to 250. Okay, okay. All right. All right, I'm ready. So, Lee, define consciousness. Oh, this is... Okay, can I... Don't start my clock yet. Because... (laughs) You you want to warm up? Is that it? You want to to pregame your answer? I want to say in advance that consciousness is not language that I use, that I much prefer to use intelligence. Nevertheless, I will say that consciousness is a largely undefined and undefinable phenomenon that we use to refer to what we think is unique about the way the human brain works, but that it's not that it doesn't exist. Right. You could also define unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No. Yeah. Right. Right. And Rick doesn't use the term IRL, but he had to define that. That's true. That's true. That's true. I'm going to ask both of you to give me a definition of an ideal departmental colleague. An ideal departmental colleague is someone who has a very even temperament. They're very calm. They also are very helpful, supportive, and have a great sense of humor. Okay, Rick. A good departmental colleague is one who gets that we have a common enterprise, and that's more important than individuals. They have a good sense of humor, and they know how to carry out a conversation in a bar. Bam! I want to join that department. Yes. I think the three of us make it. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Right. Okay, so let's move to the rank these round of questions. And I will ask this to both of you. Rank these. The Ten Commandments, the U.S. Constitution with the Bill of Rights, the Universal Declaration of the Rights of Man, and Kant's Groundwork for the Metaphysics of Morals. Oof. I'll take the Universal Declaration of the Rights of Man. So I'm going from better to worse. Universal Declaration of the Rights of Man. Then, honestly, the groundwork for the metaphysics of morals. Then the U.S. Constitution and last, the Ten Commandments. Wow. You know, I'm in complete agreement. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look at us. Definitely the Universal Declaration of the Rights of Man starts. I'm surprised, Charles, that the groundwork fits in the place it does for you. Look, I thought about the Ten Commandments and... The whole thing, thou shalt not have graven images. <laughs> I'm not with the anti-aesthetic attack. <laughs> He's really attached to his graven images. <laughs> I've seen his internet history. I know. Right. Right. And, so no. And he does have those statues of Barry White all over the house. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I guess I'm next. Yeah. So I will put this out there for both of you. Religious truth, political truth, philosophical truth. Philosophical truth, political truth, and I don't think there's such a thing as religious truth. Yeah, ditto for me, all the way down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know that I would say that I don't think that there is religious truth. I just don't think it's the same kind of truth. But I don't think any of those truths are the same kinds of truth. I would say there's religious truthiness. (laughs) So are we saying with this that you're judging the relative benefit of this type of truth versus the benefit of the other truths? That's what I was doing. I think I was ranking in terms of like importance to me. So clearly I see why the religious truth is last for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in terms of characteristics of friends, intelligence, humor, loyalty. I'll go first. Humor, intelligence, and loyalty. And that's from best to least. If you're funny, you're more than likely going to be a very smart person. Loyalty I'd like for you to be critical of me when necessary. I don't want a blind agreement with everything that I do. 
So I would say sense of humor, loyalty, intelligence, but I actually include in loyalty that you're going to be honest with me. As I often yeah, say to people, yeah. I consider someone my friend who has my best interests in their heart. Yeah, I think loyalty is that you're not going to betray me. Yeah, that's right. S sort of negatively defined in my right, mind. Right, yeah. right. I'm going to throw this one to Charles. Rank these. Socrates, Hegel, Sam Cooke. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Cooke, Socrates, and Hegel. And that's an order of the most insightful and the most fun. Ah. Obviously, Sam Cooke on those levels. But I still think, uh, what is it, the... I'm trying to think of what is the name of the dialogue where he talks to the actor. Forgotten the name of that one. The Sam Cooke dialogue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the actor he talks to is named Hegel. That's right. But no, Sam Cooke, Socrates, Hegel. All right. This is for both of you. The internet, penicillin, indoor plumbing. For me, that's easy. Penicillin, indoor plumbing, the internet. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to sign on that. I'm going to co-sign. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Because no matter how great the internet is, it would suck with syphilis. It's really hard to get a signal in the outhouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so rank these. Musical theater, tragedy, reality. I will go tragedy, reality, and musical theater. Best to worst. I'm going to answer this in terms of films and television that I watch and literature that I read. Oh, okay. If I was answering descriptively, it would be reality, then tragedy, then musical theater. But in terms of my preference, it would be reality, then musical theater, then tragedy. You watch a lot of reality TV then, huh? I do. I do. But I also read a lot of nonfiction, for yeah. example. All right. So the best period... In the history of philosophy, ancient, modern, medieval. Modern, medieval, ancient. Reverse chronological order. And I would probably go modern, ancient, medieval. But that's, to be 100% honest, because I just don't know medieval philosophy as well as the other two. All right, Lee, last question in this round. This is for both of you. In terms of which you consider to be a greater offense, indifference, irresponsibility, or willful ignorance? Worst Willful ignorance, indifference, and irresponsibility. To willingly not know just drives me nuts. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with things in that order. And what's interesting is that we often hear like indifference is the problem of our times and it's the worst problem. And if only the middle class weren't indifferent in the 20s and 30s, Hitler never would have came to power. But you know, these days... People who are willfully ignorant are mucking our shit up an awful lot that it's getting on my mm -hmm. nerves. And I wish they would just be indifferent. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I would have the exact same order. And part of that is just because I think when you're willfully ignorant, that irresponsibility and indifference almost inevitably follows. So, yeah. All right. What do we got coming up next, Rick? Coming up, we're going to turn the heat up a little bit. More? Oh, God. But also slow things down a little bit. So this is the opposite of low and slow. This is going to be slow and hot. We're going to open up to general questions. But before we do that, we're going to also include some questions, if you could. <laughs> Hey listeners, it's a new year and it's kind of coming as a shock to all of us that we're pushing up on the end of our third season here at Hotel Bar Sessions. As you know, HBS has so far remained commercial free and we've managed to keep afloat without any paid sponsorship despite our constant appeals to Fireball and Tito's to call us. Nevertheless, Podcasting is not a cost-free enterprise, and so we'd like to gently solicit you, our listeners, to consider supporting us. We've set up a Patreon page where, for less than the price of a cup of coffee a day, you can help Charles, Rick, and I ease the expense of keeping our semi-intoxicated philosophical conversations going. So please visit patreon.com backslash hotel bar sessions where you will find five different support levels. 
from shots at only $4 a month or cocktails at only $8 a month to more generous levels of commitment like our designated driver level at $12 a month or the dude level at $20 a month. And for our listeners who are swimming in patronage cash, we're also offering a Medici level at $50 a month. And yes, in case you were wondering, there are increasing benefits of access and swag associated with each Patreon level. We really appreciate you listening, and we'd really appreciate your support. Now, back to the episode. All right, I'm going to start us off on this one. If you could teach only one class for the rest of your academic career, what would it be called? I'll go first. It would be called Africana Humanities and Dialogue. It would be a course where I would look at iconic texts coming out of the the Africana studies tradition, but I would do a comparative analysis with the texts those writers were in dialogue with. So, for example, if we read Richard Wright's The Man Who Lived Underground, we would read Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground. I want students to realize that though there is a very deep and real tradition within Africana studies, these writers, thinkers, activists, and artists are not in a bubble. They are reading, they are thinking, they are absorbing, being influenced by texts from other traditions as well. And that's what that class would be. But Africana, Humanities, and Dialogue. Mine, I think, would be power and responsibility. My current thinking about politics is it's the use of power to distribute goods and services and well-being in a society. And that has to come along with some responsibility because that can go very wrong very quickly. Very nice. That sounds fun. All right, so I have a question for the two of you. If you could time travel to the past or future, which direction would you travel, and how many years would you travel? Yes, yes, a black man and a gay woman. (laughs) Do you want to go back to the past? (laughs) I'm thinking that. No, I I would go back to the past, but I'm going back to ancient Egypt. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting. The question as it stands, obviously you're pointing out, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so the question would be, if you're traveling in either direction, are you traveling with all your, to use Aristotelian language, all your accidental characteristics that you currently have, or could you take on new ones? Well, it seems to me that you'd have to travel with the accidental characteristics because the question makes no sense. If you can just be anybody, yeah, I'll go back in time and I'll be Louis the Sixteenth during 17th century France. Sure. No, I, I think it. part of the fun is thinking about who would I be? What would it mean for me to be who I am now in this future or past moment? I mean, I would definitely travel into the future, but not very far at all. A, because I'm not sure how many years I have left, so I'm not going to go like 30 years in the future. <laughs> Sorry, no entry. <laughs> but I think I'm going to say five years in the future. I'm hoping that we have some better way of living through this pandemic five years from now. I don't think that we're going to have it in two years. I think it might take us between four and five years to do it. So yeah, I would go five years into the future just to kind of skip where we are now. All right. If you could be a master of one genre of literature, what would it be? I'm going to give an unusual answer because when I was in high school, what I really, really wanted to be was a speechwriter. And I think I'd still love to be a Mm. speechwriter. And I'm not sure if that's a genre of literature, but I think it, it should count. Yeah, I like it. I think I would love to be a master of writing short stories. I think the short story is a really nice form of literature, and it's not as easy as it seems. All right. Here's my question for both of you. If you could preside over a college or university, which administrative position would you eliminate first? I would eliminate all administrative positions that start with assistant or associate. (laughs) Or vice. vice. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that shit grows up like mushrooms after the rain. You know, (laughs) you got a provost, then you got 300 associate provosts. You got a president, then you got 400 vice presidents. Get rid of all of them. Yeah. I think a part of me wants to say chief of staff for the president. 
I think there are other ways to get that done. And I think in some cases puts up barriers to allowing for the president to engage and interface with issues or peoples or departments that they probably need to. So I think it's just an unnecessary gatekeeper. My answer is the first person to get the axe is the director of athletics. And that's assuming that the whole athletics department goes with it. (laughs) And not because I don't love college athletics, but because there is not a single college or university that is not spending too much money on that where money needs to be spent elsewhere. Amen. So with that being said, I think it's time we now break this wide open and move on to some general questions. Ooh, ooh, we are really turning up the heat now. <laughs> I got some questions for you boys. We're going to broil right now. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to pick this one, sorry, Lee, because I think it was probably yours. But I'm going to ask both of you, describe your co-hosts in three words. Charles, I'm going to let you go first. I need to think. Oh, I don't. (laughs) All right. I'll one up you. I will do that. But the two of you will have to figure out who I'm talking about. I'm not going to assign a name to it. Oh, I like this twist. Uh, Impish, sharp, fuzzy. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) That's the first person. Impish, sharp, fuzzy. That's the first person. And the second person is... White, middle class, man. Self-deprecating, expansive, and convivial. Well, that's definitely Rick. But I don't understand what fuzzy means. Fuzzy, warm, <laughs> nice, kind. Oh, oh, okay. I'm like, wait. Like a you're you're a human blanket. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I was gonna go with an elf that'll kick your ass, like Carol Kane from Scrooged. <laughs> But you limited me to three words, so. Lee? Okay, I think for Rick, I would say hilarious, rigorous, and kind. I think for Charles, I would say also hilarious. Sorry, you guys, but y'all are hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Um, There's so many I have for you, Charles. Committed and haphazard and i'm gonna say haphazard because one of the things that i love about you most is that i just kind of never know what you're about to say so like surprising surprising is a better one like i'm always surprised at the way that your thought goes and it's something that i really admire about you no haphazard is actually accurate because i i don't pay attention to a lot of shit (laughs) and most times i'm just improvising so (laughs) but it also goes along with your description of yourself as a dilettante from the episode on specialization Uh, oh yeah that's talk about rigor this fucker remembers like (laughs) every comment from every episode (laughs) so rick you got to give your three word descriptions well i asked the question ah still (laughs) okay so for lee hilarious generous and um i have the concept i just don't know what the word is for it is the concept likes a dictionary (laughs) (laughs) um so this is the only word i can think of but i mean it in the best and most positive sense righteous Mm. What I mean by that is fighting for and working on the side of the right. Charles, I would describe as smooth. Good one. I wish I'd have thought of that. Super smooth. Hilarious. And again, I have the concept, but I don't have the word for it. Um, So the, the general concept is that your insistence on expanding philosophical and in general humanistic horizons. So I was going to say open, but I mean that more actively, like opening is what I mean. Thank you both. Those are very kind descriptions. All right. This is a question for both of you again. How do you think, quote, where you come from? And I'll leave it up to each of you to define what that is, defines who you are today. I'll answer that. I'll start. And I'm identifying where I come from as my hometown of Gary, Indiana, a particular moment in the late 20th century 
And that informs and defines who I am because my time, born 1970, left Gary, Indiana, 1988 to go off to college, was a moment where it was really this world of black people that was, from my perspective as a child and teenager, an empowered world defined by black people that was not indebted to or invested in, from what I could see, the white gaze or white power structures. It was an urban equivalent to Eddie Murphy's construction from coming to America, or it was black American Wakanda for the moment. And so that gave me a sense of the centrality of myself and my community and the possibilities of being able to construct worlds beyond the limits or the deprivations of white supremacy. It wasn't really the case. It wasn't completely true, but it gave me a sense of that's possible. Well, I would say that I would describe where I come from as the South generally and as Memphis particularly. And coming from the South and in particularly Memphis, I think the concerns that are most predominant in my life, poverty, justice, race, sexuality, religion, class, all of those things are important to me, I think, because of the milieu in which I grew up. I also think that it is important to me because I've spent a good part of my life, well, when I was in graduate school, I spent a good amount of time trying to lose my Southern accent. Even after I got my first job, I think that I've always been very self-conscious about how I have a tendency to speak plainly and directly and casually, not sound like I think an academic sounds. It took me a long time to grow into, you know, that's just where I am. That's how people where I'm from speak. And that's who I am. And so, yeah, I think that it is absolutely central to who I am, where I'm from. What about you, Chicago boy? <laughs> He's like, well, I come from a long line of pipe fitters, union pipe fitters. I, I'm going to go back further than that, but I, I think one of the central arteries of the life of Chicago is labor and concern about labor. And so my concern for labor, I think, is quintessentially Chicagoan. Also, in a strange way, my concern for mediation because Chicago mm. is the city that developed mediation as a way to make money. Like, we never really made a lot of things, <laughs> but if someone else made it, we're going to touch it. And every time we touch it, you're going to pay me for that. <laughs> Fuck you, pay me. <laughs> <laughs> this is for both of you. What philosophical text has come closest to saving your life? Oh, I can answer that very easy. It was Judith Butler's Gender Trouble, mm. 100%. Mm. Yeah. Read that when I was early on in graduate school. It has been unparalleled in its influence. on Well, not its influence on my thinking. There are parallels to its influence on my thinking. But unparalleled in speaking to me and who I was at a time in my life when I was still trying to figure out who I was. Nice. For me, I think it is the history of sexuality. If I could take all the volumes, I will say yes. But if I have <laughs> to choose one of them, oh, that's tough. Maybe volume two? But yeah, definitely the history of sexuality. What about you, Charles? For me, answering this question, when I say save my life, I mean very close to pulling me back from a certain type of ledge uh, and mm -hmm. it's Audre Lorde's uses of the erotic, the erotic is power. Mm. Wow. It was a dark moment and I read it. It was like the light came back on in the room. So Audre Lorde. All right. So I have a question for both of you. What do you consider unforgivable behavior? And I'm going to say from a friend, what would you consider unforgivable behavior from a friend? Do you mean unforgivable behavior or an unforgivable act? Either one. So I have an actual answer to this because I actually broke up with a friend, only one in my entire life. And the reason for it was because this former friend made me feel bad about myself constantly. And yeah. that was something I just couldn't forgive. Going back to my definition of friendship as having my best interest in heart. Yeah, a solid answer. Charles? Uh, any type of predation, any type of violence, any type of act where one is consciously exploiting the vulnerability or the weakness of another. I can't stand that. I hate, it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. Even rudeness to service workers. I absolutely mm -hmm. hate it. There's no need for that. What about you, Lee? 
Well, anybody that calls me fuzzy, I think that's unforgivable. (laughs) (laughs) Appearing on next season's podcast. (laughs) The next question, what two other people would you like to co-host with if not these two people sitting with you? (laughs) Did I say fuzzy? I meant fuzzy. Fozzy like the Muppet character. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. <laughs> Can I ask a quick follow-up question to that? Is What do you think are the three worst characteristics that someone can have? Because I, I was just thinking about this when Charles said, I can't stand people who are rude to wait staff. And it just made me think, this would be a good question to ask both of you. So narcissism, I think, is one. Dishonesty is another. And... Being exploitative is a third one. Those are good. Charles? I'll bring back predation, mm-hmm. rudeness, mm. right, impoliteness, and pure untrammeled irrationality. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You, get, you know people like that who just refuse to yeah. stop, think, consider, be more systematic. I mean, everyone has their irrational moments and aspects. We all do. But just people who just are just funneled on that can't deal with it. What about you, Lee? I mean, my first one is meanness. Mm. Like, I don't understand meanness. You know, and I'm talking about the kind that you see in gossip, in groupthink, in cliquishness, where it's just being mean for meanness's sake. I can honestly tell you that I'm never mean. I don't think I'm ever mean, but I'm never mean to be mean. So that's definitely one of them. I think I might have to go with Rick on disloyalty with a pretty expansive sense of what it means to be loyal. And probably the third is just unreflectiveness. You know, like people who just don't bother to stop and think about things, about the world, about other people, about themselves, about current events. That I find a terrible characteristic in people. All right. What would you consider a proper philosophical response to the anti-CRT advocates? I mean, is it like this is like seriously a trick question because the only philosophical response to the anti-CRT argument CRT. involve CRT. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, when did you stop beating your wife? (laughs) But could you pull from particular works or thinkers in order to mount an argument as to why a more expansive teaching of history should be allowed in public schools? Yeah, I'm going to cheat on my answer here. And I'm going to say, I don't think that the best argument against anti-CRT people is a philosophical argument. I really do think that the best argument is, you know, A, just explaining what CRT is, B, explaining what is and is not actually taught in schools, and C, general civics argument, historical argument, or an argument about the importance of history. I'm not sure that I would classify any of those as, properly speaking, philosophical arguments. So that would be my cheat answer. Okay. Coward. Part of my answer would be, wouldn't it be nice if in second grade the students were learning the history of Article 2 of the Constitution and how it emerged out of the interests of the slaveholding South? That would be fantastic. One of the things I think about an awful lot is the way in which a number of these bills are being written in terms of making people feel bad and talking about whether individuals are racist or not. And so I think the proper philosophical response for me would emerge out of the ways in which structures can be effective, that structures can actually do things in the world. And we have wide variety of experience about this and move from there then to a discussion about what the actual interests of critical race theory are. What about you, Charles? Despite being a philosophical optimist, I think there are limits where you hit people's irrationality. And I believe a lot of this fervor is being stirred up from the subconscious regions of these communities' ways of being. I agree with Lee. I'm not sure there's a philosophical argument to be made to them. And for me, when I get to that point, then I think, okay, now we have to start talking about power. Mm. It's not a philosophical argument. It's a power argument. Okay, it looks like I get the last question of this segment. So I'm going to ask the both of you, if you could choose any other two co-hosts, living or dead, real or fictional, famous or ordinary, 
but still doing this podcast, Hotel Bar Sessions, who would you pick? I'll answer. I'm not sure this is my final, final answer, but I think it has to be pointed out that I've loved all of the guests we've had on in one capacity or another. But I think it has to be pointed out that in my experience, there were two people who just like slipped right into our thing. And that is Charles McKinney and Jason Reed. And so I think those would be two that I would go to. Because you already mentioned Charles McKinney, I won't. <laughs> right, because it's taken for granted. A truck would be just amazing. But I do have a friend. He's a associate dean at the UVA Law School that I would love to have as a, a podcast co-host. His name is Mark Jefferson. He's been one of my best friends since literally my freshman year in college. The first class I ever took, he was in that class. So we've been friends ever since. Probably one of the most brilliant people I know and most incredibly wide-read and thoughtful and flat-out hilarious. Can I just point out his title begins with the word associate, so he's dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> and we can use living or dead historical contemporary. Yeah. I feel like I wouldn't mind sitting with Oscar Wilde. Oh. Mm, that'd be nice. Yeah. Or Dorothy Parker Ooh, for about nice. an hour and a half once a week just talking about really interesting stuff. What about you, Lee? I am going to pick Ali Velshi, the MSNBC oh, yeah. anchor. I think he's just really smart and really interesting and funny. And honestly, Dolly Parton. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. Definitely. And I think she's also really smart and really funny and has the vibe that would be good for a podcast like this. Yeah, I think fundamentally for our podcast, I mean, I, I, I think both of you are really brilliant people, really engaged, widely read. But I, I think we're just fun. So for me, my thinking is the people I want to do this with have to be fun. Yeah. yeah. And have to have yeah. a bit of whimsy about them. Yeah. Like fuzzy whimsy even. <laughs> hey, we couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email a audio clip, keep it under two minutes please, to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink. We're running out of time here and Rami's looking a little antsy, but I thought before he makes last call that we could just maybe do a semi-speed round and each ask one more question. Can we turn the heat down a little bit on this All one? right, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Lee is sitting on a block of ice. So let's start then with you, Lee. Final question, semi-speed round. I want to say that this is the last episode of our second season together, third season of the podcast, and it's been a really great season again. I really appreciate having both of you as co-hosts. And so my question is, if you had a couple of minutes to pitch this podcast to someone who doesn't already listen, how would you pitch it? How would you convince somebody to tune in to Hotel Bar Sessions? I'll give it a shot. If you have an hour or so each week to commit to a bit of whimsy and a bit of wisdom, this is the podcast for you, right? We think hard, we laugh hard. I think we add some degree of fun and illumination to the topics that we discuss. So if, if you're up for that, then we're the podcast to listen to. I would say that well, we're a podcast that has three smart people taking on serious topics in a non-serious way. Oh, Nice. Oh, that's very good. Yes, thank you. It's a good thing we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Lee, what about you? A little bit of a combination of both of you. I think that I would say, hey, this is three smart people having smart conversations, uh, but can laugh at themselves and each other. I think I might also say this podcast will make you smarter and it will make you feel smart. 
but you don't have to know a lot coming into it. So even though it's a philosophy podcast, you don't have to be familiar with philosophy. You don't have to be an academic. I think we do a really good job of laying out the issue and why it's important and why you already have the tools to be able to think along with us. So yeah, that's what I would say. Boy, that sure doesn't fit on a poster. No. <laughs> you know, I was looking for something for a next tattoo and you blew it, Lee. <laughs> Charles is your back clear. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Robert De Niro from Cape Fear. <laughs> All right, Charles, your last question. I would ask each of you, why are philosophy podcasts important if you think they are? I do really think that philosophy podcasts are important. And I think, number one, because they're the easiest example of what we call public philosophy. So people who are like, I don't even know what philosophers do. I don't know what philosophy is. I think podcasts are a way of bridging that town-gown divide. So I think they're important for that reason. I also think that there are more and more philosophy podcasts out there, and that's really good, and they're all very different. I think some of them are more like a class, you know? It's like, we're going to talk about Foucault, or we're going to talk about Hegel, I think some of them are very technical and inside baseball-y. I think that our podcast is important because it's not that, because we're not so much teaching a class. It's not like tune in to learn what transcendence is. Tune in to learn how to think philosophically about transcendence. Yeah. Yeah, I would say something following up exactly from that last point Lee made, which was where I was going to start. Namely that I think that philosophy podcasts in general and ours in particular are important because they show the power of philosophical analysis and philosophical thinking in relation to issues that face us as individuals and collectively. And I think that's really important mm -hmm. because as Lee says, it's not always so obvious to people how you go from like Hegel's science of logic to talking about why Christianity has turned out the way it has in the United States today. And so I think philosophy podcasts show how philosophical thinking can really operate in productive ways on issues that we face both as individuals and collectively. What about you, Charles? Now, at the risk of repeating myself, I like the idea that podcasts are moving into the mainstream of popular discourse and people can see what philosophers do. People can hopefully gain some sense of why it's important to be able to think in these ways about these topics and why they do connect to not just these abstract issues, but how there's a very real world effect from the ways in which people think about things in a much more speculative and theoretical way. Nice. So my last question is, what were y'all's two or three favorite podcasts of this season? My first favorite was the opening episode of this season, whose history can't speak enough of the brilliance of Charles McKinney, his intellect and his personality and his character. So that's one of my favorites. Guns. Last season's mm. episode on guns, which Lee sort of was in a hot seat about. <laughs> and I loved it because it was the first time when I think we really began to find the rhythm and the dynamic of who we are and how we can learn to argue and disagree, but not be disagreeable. And it's generations. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I went into it a little like, eh. but as we began to have a conversation and Rick began to lay out his ideas and his thinking about it. And we're like, oh, I do have ideas about generations. I do want to think about them in a different way and how are they defined commercially, experientially, historically, so forth and so on. So generations actually is one that I enjoy re-listening to. I would say that from last season and maybe of all time, one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done is the vulgarity episode. Mm which I just thought was a lot of fun and was a really good example of thinking philosophically about something that it would not immediately occur to most people is a philosophical topic or that there's anything philosophical to say about. So I really did like that. My second choice was transcendence. And then just in terms of my love for both of you guys and feeling like really connected to both of you, I have to say the optimism and pessimism episode was one of my favorites from this season. But what about you, Ray? So I'm going to stick with this season. I do think, let me just throw in that I'm not going to mention, I think my all-time favorite episode was the music episode. But uh. from this season, I'm with you, Lee. I think the optimism and pessimism episode is among my absolute favorites. And it was one of the episodes that I think I was in the hot seat. Yes, I was. I was in the hot seat for that. 
And just before going into the recording, I'm like, ah, do we really have anything to talk about here? And it turned out to be really <laughs> interesting. So I liked yeah. that episode. The tourism episode, I thought, turned out to be really interesting. And it was one where I think I learned a tremendous amount, but also I felt we all had something really important to contribute to that. And then I think the social media episode, because I finally got to explain to y'all why I just, <laughs> I, I can't even. And won't even, can't even, won't even. <laughs> so true. <laughs> All right. So Rami is announcing last call for this episode and last call for the season. It's also last call for Rami. Oh. Yeah. We're currently interviewing a new bartender for next season, but Rami has been solid this season. Thank you, Rami. Well, as Lee said, this is our last episode for season three of Hotel Bar Sessions. But we are already behind the scenes working on some interesting episodes for next season. And I just want to say to the two of you, again, it has been a complete joy. I have learned so much. And as Charles keeps saying, this doesn't feel like work to me. Ditto. It's been great. Love having you guys as co-hosts. Looking forward to next season. To quote a character from one of my favorite movies, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd's Trading Places, it's been a stone cold groove, my man. <laughs> <laughs>